Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call BarryYourGold.com, and what it does is it goes into a container. You lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches. It's a 50-year warranty on the device. It only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground, and you can keep it for safekeeping. And I'll tell you, this is the way to hide your gold, not in false walls, but underground will be very, very difficult to detect. To find out more, go to BarryYourGold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee. Hello, America. Dave Hodges here, host of The Common Sense Show. We are the show that is freeing America, one enslaved mind at a time. Thank you so much for being with us. Got a really good show for you. In our guest segment, we're going to have Rochelle Voth on, and uh, she is someone who has a lot of experience with vaccines, and we're going to be talking about the issue. I'm going to get to it in just a second here, but let me cut right to the chase. Your economy is failing right before our eyes There's no question about it, ladies and gentlemen. We absolutely need to stand tall against this tyranny. Uh, It's deliberately being done to us. We have, I've gone through it, uh, yesterday on YouTube with three different broadcasts showing how the economy is deliberately being taken down. Not, not that, oh gee, we spent too much money or this happened, that happened. No. It's intentional. It's by design. So, What I'm telling people to do, you've got to get out of the money system as much as you can. You need to go to parallel economy. And what I mean by that, ladies and gentlemen, is that you absolutely need to get your retirement out of the bank. You need to get as much money out of the bank and diversified investment as possible. And Noble Gold can help you do that. Noble Gold is the best at what they do. And let me just tell you this. If you get your money out of the bank with regard to, well, your retirement, they'll back it up with gold, which held its value for 6,000 years, unlike the banks that have destroyed 85% of the currency since, well, I'd say about 1985. And what they're going to do is you're going to preserve the wealth. You'll be in control of your retirement. So please do this, ladies and gentlemen. It's in your own best interest. And we just keep coming back to you and saying this over and over and over. And some of you just sit tight on your banks. And if you keep doing that, it's going to be 1929 for you and you're going to lose everything. Well, we're going to talk to Rochelle about a number of things. But one of the things I want to emphasize to you is we're going to talk about the efficacy of the research they've done to back up the new vaccines coming out that Biden has already said, and I quote, you are going to have to take it. Mask mandates are coming back. It's the same old BS because we're coming up on an election. We've got to have the fraudulent ways to handle it. And by the way, in Arizona, where the uniparty Republicans control both the House and the Senate, guess what? They turned down an opportunity to pass a law that said they were going to hand count and verify the vote and verify the machine vote. Can you believe they did that? Of course, they cheat. They cheat. Cheating on elections is now uniparty. It's a uniparty endeavor. And we're going to talk all about the vaccines, what they're going to do, the lack of science right here on the Common Sense Show. Hey, everybody. Dave Hodges here, host of The Common Sense Show. And as you know, we're the show that's freeing America one enslaved mind at a time. And because we're on a digital format, we'd ask you to share. Our time is limited. Uh, And I I think that the bad guys are really making their move now across multiple domains. And we need to wake those people up that think they can sit this out. I don't think there's many people that don't know there are real issues, but we need to motivate them to action. And one of the ways you can do that is to share shows like this, particularly with the guest we're going to have today. Her name is Rochelle Voth, and she is a physician's assistant, and she has lots of experience working with COVID. So we're going to talk a little bit about then, and we're going to talk about now. Because, you know, as I say, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah, well, here we go again. So, um, Rochelle, I want to welcome you to the show. It's your first time on the show, and so it's it's really great to have you. I've heard a lot about you. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah, I you've made it. you've made some good impressions on other media that you've been on. Okay. Um, but what I'd like to do, just so my audience is a little bit more familiar with you, 
Uh, could you tell the audience a little bit about your, your background and your training? Sure. Thank you for having me, first of all, and thank you for right. holding the line. Um, it's always freedom fighters and truth tellers that we need even more these days. So I respect your work, and I just honor you in that regard. Thank, thank you. Um, so, yes, my name is Rochelle. I'm a physician. Um, so we do things like a doctor, but we're not the doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked in hospital medicine for eight years. Uh, that's my pedigree. Um, so I worked everything from the ER to inpatient floor work, which means if you had pneumonia, heart failure, um, you know, new onset of cancer diagnosis, I would be your girl. I would help take care of you. Um, but then the last three years of that eight year journey, I specifically worked, um, you know, in the COVID pandemic in an LTAC. So it's a long-term acute care facility. It's very similar to an ICU. Um, most of my patients were ventilated um, COVID patients who had received the therapies and treatments at an outline facility and then were sent to us and we had to wean off the vent, uh, which sometimes would take three days or three months. Um, so I worked with those types of people uh, predominantly during the pandemic. And then when the shots rolled out, I also worked with patients just by intuition and, and um, clinical observation. I started noticing some certain syndromes that were going on and started treating people with, quote, vaccine injury and saw some really interesting results and some promising things. Um, so then near the end of my hospitalist journey, um, I ended up uh, focusing more heavily on how to rescue and recover people who had either have symptoms from just long haul COVID um, or the disease itself or issues post vaccination. Um, so, my pedigree is I'm a physician assistant, internal medicine, um, you know, was raised in the medical model, <laughs> if I can say that, um, but I'm learning um, and quite quickly uh, this whole other world of integrative medicine and allopathic medicine and, uh, you know, natural medicine mm-hmm. and mixed marriage of the two, because that's really um, the opportunity that we have right now and today uh, to help restore our bodies to wellness. Boy, that's a mouthful. That's yeah, that's, a, that's a pretty impressive background. You've squeezed a lot in there. And you're right. Physician's assistants mm-hmm. do what the doctor does. I mean, I remember one time I was going to a specialist for about a year. Yeah. I never saw him. I, really? saw him for, I saw him on our first meeting. Mm-hmm. And that was it. It was a physician assistant after that the entire time. Yeah. That's, yeah. I, did, I didn't mind. She was nicer and better looking. So um, <laughs> she was. Yeah. Yeah. We generally you know, have a little more time to spend with you, which is the benefit, you know, because the, the qualitative measures that they put in the pressures on doctors these days, you know, I mean, they can only see 15 minutes each time. And we have, we don't have that um, stipulation on us as, as much. So uh, we appreciate that in our jobs. And it's benefit of it. So we have a little bit more time to do a little bit more investigative homework, I think, in general. Let me ask you just a couple of background questions here with your experience. And and if I ask you anything that where you're employed that prefer you not to talk about, just say so and we'll move on from that. But um, I just want to check a rumor. I've asked a number of people this. I wonder if you saw this in your experience that uh, the federal government was paying X amount of money here in Arizona was 13,000 for a COVID diagnosis. Uh, and it was, I think it was 39,000. I might be off, but it's close for a death. So okay. people would go into, they'd come in with head trauma from a motorcycle accident while they died from COVID. Did right. you happen to see th- those kind of false reporting sure. statistics? Well, I can speak from my own story uh, when mm-hmm. I had COVID. Um, I was not hospitalized, but I did go to the ER to receive IV fluids and um, some help because um, I was really sick. And when I got my bill back, um, you know, they, diagnosed me with COVID. um, And it was a $3,000 reimbursement um, straight to the hospital for the entire diagnosis of COVID. Um, And so I can tell you that, yes, there were contracted rates that were given, you know, from insurance to the hospital for that diagnosis. Um, For clinical, for my clinical observation, you know, in in the height of the pandemic, pretty much anybody that was coming through the ER, whether you had a hip fracture or you had respiratory symptoms, you were getting COVID tests um, because we needed to, at that time, the premise of thought was you need to section off people who are positive from people who are negative. And if you have Mm -hmm. a hip fracture, you're going to go to surgery, you're going to have anesthesia, therefore we have to test you to make sure it doesn't, you know, explode everywhere during that um, medical Um, surgery. So everybody was getting COVID tested, right? And then if you had COVID test positivity, which again, we know these tests were not perfect science. Um, They were picking up strep throat and they were picking up the flu. Um, It would go on your chart. And so it would go on your chart, but if you were a good clinician and an ethical doctor, you would write diagnosis of COVID testing positive, however, asymptomatic. And I don't know what happens with that once it passes on. I don't know if the insurance billed them for positive COVID test or not. 
Um, but the charting should have been an, in good ethics, um, you know, positive test asymptomatic or positive mm-hmm. test treating for symptoms. So I don't know beyond the charting level to some degree. And then I only know from my own experience um, what I saw. And I, but I was truly COVID positive and being treated for that in the ER. Um, but there was a negotiation or a contracted rate um, that was given because of that diagnosis. And it is quite high. It was quite profitable. I mean, $3,000 is a good and, and And so there was motivation to fudge there, the statistics. Yeah, there, you know, there might have been. You know, but at the hospitalist level or the clinician level, when I was in the ER and seeing people or, um, you know, um, was in the LTAC setting, I was, I personally was not diagnosing people with COVID for that purpose, they, you know, um, but on the administrative level, was there benefit to testing everybody and having 75, 85% of it be positive? Maybe. Yeah. There's, there's, you know, there might be a rhythm to that game, but I don't know who was doing it. Um, and I can't say that I was doing it and neither were, neither were my former colleagues in, um, in the habit, in the vein of trying to earn a profit. Um, but yeah, so a little bit of a tricky question. No, I know it is. And, and not yeah. all institutions were doing it exactly the same way. Right. But, but I think the government's response to this is they wanted as much COVID diagnosis as they could get to, justif- to justify what they were doing. The other right. thing I want to ask you too, and, and, um, uh, you know, I primarily taught psychology when I was okay. doing post-secondary work, but I also did research in statin. For four and a half years, I taught research to dissertation students, work, you know, our research methods to dissertation students working on their thesis. And so we used medical modeling, you know, mm-hmm. to teach this, you know, the double blind, you know, so forth and so right. on. And uh, here's my concern, what I saw, and mm-hmm. I'd like you to address it from just your perspective. Um I was greatly concerned that the medical model wasn't followed. In fact, I thought what they did was downright negligent and dangerous because they didn't follow mm-hmm. systematic protocols. Um, what did you observe anything along those areas that you gave you concern? Can you for me? Like, what do you mean? What, 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 were, what were the specifics where they were negligent? Um, and so when you get in the door, we were clear. Sorry, can you clarify that just a bit? Um, okay. In other words, I didn't see evidence that they progressed from extensive animal testing to human testing. They do double blind control group, experimental group accounted for placebos and didn't separate people by high placebo. People go into the experimental group. Those were things that I had medical professionals told me that they were told to do in research. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in a research perspective, absolutely. No. Um, If you look at the research of these vaccines, um, you know, behind them, for example, the newest booster that just came out and was just approved, you know, a day or two ago, um, it was tested on 20 mice. 20 mice, um, not 20 people, <laughs> not 2,000 people. Um, and they didn't follow these mice for two years, 20 days, you know, 2,000 years. Um, we literally have zero evidence that this is safe for humans, that it's effective for humans, um, and that it will reduce hospitalizations and deaths, which is the primary endpoint of these vaccinations in theory, what they should be doing. Um, So yes, completely. The ethics um, and the medical model, that's a better way to say that, of doing a double blind study is absolutely gone. Um, You know, the control with the Pfizer um, original shots, uh, they, you know, did a vaccinated group, they did an unvaccinated group, they compared the ratios, but then they offered the vaccine to all the unvaccinated. So they effectively eliminated their control group for a down the road type of study because in the ethics of, well, it wouldn't be right to not give somebody the vaccine, you know, and protect them when it would be wrong to withhold it from them. They gave their control group the shot. So now you really can't <laughs> compare. I, I know. I know. Anyway, you're you know so, so you're right. You're yeah, absolutely. The, the ethics and the medical model behind the research in this field is sorely lacking. Yeah. Uh, my graduate students w- wouldn't have got out of the midterm with that kind of practice. I know. I know. Um, it's, 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 it's infuriating, to be honest, I'm at that point as a clinician um, and as somebody, you know, who sees the impact that these shots are having on people. Um, it really, really riles me up um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a justice way, um, you know, in a kind of righteous indignation way, um, because this is completely throwing science out of the healthcare of people all around the U.S. and the, the world. Um, but it's a complete negligence and it's a complete um, dishonor to the safety of our, of our, of our, of our own kind, you know, um, 20 mice. Okay. I don't maybe care about 20 mice, but I care about 20 people, you know, and you didn't even test them person. And you're saying it's safe to give them pregnancy, by the way. And See, you're saying it's, it's safe to give to kids. Yeah. 
I hear you, Rochelle. Yeah. And you see, yeah. that tells me that they don't want the answer or they would do the right. research. Fair. Yep. Or they care about profit. All profit. And then they give immunity to the manufacturers. So right. uh, that, that to me, that should be totally illegal to do yeah. that. Um, but not, yeah. not to moralize here, I, but I want to stick to the facts because I'm thinking what was is mm-hmm. soon going to be. But mm-hmm. I'll tell you my experience, and I want to get your opinion from what you're seeing. Okay. I get shots twice a month in a care facility, and I'm healthy. It's okay. You know, I swim about a half a mile every other day, and I lift weights, yeah. so I'm, I'm healthy. But yeah. but I take these shots, okay. and I go in, and it's also like uh, cancer treatment. So, so I see, encounter a lot of nurses, right. and I've known these nurses for about three years. The original nurses I knew all quit when they made the vaccine mandatory. These nurses tell me they're not even going to wear a mask because I asked one joking. I said, where's your mask at? You know, it's coming back. And she says, that mask is not going on my face. There's going to be 100% defiance at this facility. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are you seeing or anticipating? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, So, you know, I heard likewise on the news, I think it was the Epic Times, We at the Common Sense Show have a great TV show. We bring in a panel of experts and help people navigate the uncharted waters that we're living in. Because what once was coming is no longer coming. It's already here. And we're getting you the help so you can make better decisions for your future. You can find us at thecommonsenseshow.tv, commercial-free, censorship-free. And we're getting five-star ratings on the world's major platforms. Again, check us out today at thecommonsenseshow.tv. Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call BarryYourGold.com. And what it does is it goes into a container. You lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches. It's a 50-year warranty on the device. It only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground. And you can keep it for safekeeping. And I'll tell you, this is the way to hide your gold. Not in false walls, but underground will be very, very difficult to detect. To find out more, go to BarryYourGold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee. Did you know that the World Economic Forum now, they in the last meeting they convened, they actually had a water board there with water experts, and they tell us our water is in danger and they have to take control of our water. Does that bother anybody? I'm sure it does. And I begin thinking right now about water safety. We already know there's lead in the water, chemicals in the water. A lot of it's not safe to drink. But we have the answer for you. It's called the Alexa Pure Pro Water Filter. It's the best there is. And scientifically, they leave nothing to doubt as they publish their research at waterwithdave.com. And it's my choice for water filtration. Gravity powered. It reduces 206 contaminants. It targets heavy metals, fluoride, chlorine, and viruses. It is the best there is in the business. And you can read all the research on this simply by going to water with dave.com that's water with dave.com save eighty dollars for a short time times that you know there's a hospital on the east coast that's now enforcing its standardization of employment you mm-hmm. have to take this new booster which has no data except on 20 mice um so i think the american public is more wiser or is that the right way is wiser not more wiser is wiser and more resilient um for there you it. go uh, however, um, you know, if we make it, if you talk about the hospice community, um, my observation since I've left it, I have not worked there for like the last six months. I pick up shifts every now and then, but it's not my primary employment anymore. Um, a lot of the good clinicians have started to leave. Um, and that's been an evolution over the last year or so. Um, they're tired. They're burnt out. Um, the, there's been changes to the pay structure um, of these large third-party companies that are coming in and supplying the hospitalist employment contracts or the ER employment contracts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm seeing people get fed up, maybe not necessarily because of the vaccination requirements, not 100%. I don't have a pulse beat on that because I'm not in there in the last six months, but 
I do think clinicians are starting to wake up that we're in the hospitalist crew. Um, and so some, they're just seeking to do something else uh, because of system overwhelm. I think um, what I've heard more often is the nurses in those systems um, and one particular system that I know of, they're ready to do strikes and saying these are unsafe labor conditions and I won't do this because you can't force me to take a mask mandate and you can't force me to do, you know, um, the, the vaccine therapy. Um, now, I do think there's a space for masks in the hospital in a very sick and critically ill patient with respiratory yeah, disease. The same as it's always but, been. Yeah, I agree. It's always been. So I don't want people to misunderstand me. Sure, that. sure. Um, but um, we need to learn from history and not repeat ourselves on the other side of this, you know, to the other part of this narrative. And so I think I think we're in this, um, and this is a little bit of speculation and a, and a little bit of observation and a little bit of input that I've heard from colleagues that still work in the hospital space. Um, I do think there's more resistance than there was before. I don't think they're just, let's follow what the administration says um, or what the infectious disease team states. Um, I'm not sure I trust my CDC and FDA anymore. Um, I don't. No, right? I don't. I'm not saying I don't. They're saying I'm not sure I trust them anymore. Um, but, you know, I, I at this point would say it's very shaky. I would not trust them either. But so that's a little bit of a roundabout answer. Um I do think there is a waking up coming. I don't think they're fully awake. Um, but, you know, I think outpatient medicine is actually more up to speed at this point uh, than the inpatient side is on what's going on. Yeah. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm anti-mask. I mean, when I had uh, no, no, surgery no, no. on my on my shoulder, you know, yeah. I want my doctor and nurse wearing a mask when they're operating on me. So yeah. so that's fine. But yeah. But for the general public to put mm-hmm. on a mask, to go into a grocery store. I mean, I've read the efficacy of it. I've read the research on it and, and it's really contraindicated for people with asthma, people with claustrophobia, you know, people with PTSD. I mean, it's really contraindicated for that. And I, I I look at that and I'm saying, we just seem to be intent on doing more harm than not. Mm -hmm. And, and I just, this is why I wanted to go backwards a little bit with you, Rochelle. I want to go forwards now, but, but I wanted the public who's hearing you for the first time to get a feeling for what was and how it bridges into what we can yeah. kind of expect to deal with. Um, uh, when you look at what's coming, in fact, uh, just tell you real quickly, I saw this. Uh, I don't know if it was a YouTube short or if it was TikTok because it yeah. looked the same, but it was sent to me okay. and it was Joe Biden. He looked like he was drunk. I mean, he talked like he was drunk yeah. and he said, well, I'm asking Congress for more money and uh, it's a new vaccine and you're going to have to take it. Right. And that was the exact words he used. And here's a concern. And you may not know this, and you may. When Biden came into office, he illegally entered into a treaty agreement with the World Health Organization by forming an agreement with them, which has to go to the Senate. But okay. he ignored that. And it says that if he declares a health emergency, the World mm-hmm. Health Organization will come in here and they'll set the standards and they're not going to care about our laws or our rights. Do you I've know anything about that. this? I've heard of it. I, I didn't delve into it, but yes, I have heard that. I can corroborate okay. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, yes. to me, that's kind of the equalizer. Mm. Um, we can stand up and say no to our government, but I'm not sure how this third party enforcement would go. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if the military would be involved. I mean, I'm right. talking not our mill. I don't think much of our military would do this. I don't but, think so. but, but anyway, I just wanted to see if you had heard that. Okay. I, so yeah. going, going, um, going forward with vaccine injury. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hearing that vaccines have a shelf life. And if you get a year or two beyond most of the vaccines and you haven't had severe reactions, you may not. How do you see this with your experience? I think it's evolved. Um, You know, when I first, when this first came out and we first kind of dabbled into this new frontier of, well, how long does that messenger RNA stay in our system? Does it cause problems? Um, How long do the other components of the vaccine, like the lipid nanoparticles, the pegs, um, you know, the um, endotoxins release, et cetera, do they persist? So um, the original school of thought was if you didn't have a sudden cardiac death within two to 12 weeks or, and then five to six months, you're probably okay. Everything's good. Um, there's now, however, a study that's come out, and Dr. Peter McCullough talks about this really well and eloquently um, in his Pennsylvania Senate testimony, so forgive me if I'm repeating it, but um, it's by Lee and colleagues, and they showed that 
they followed vaccinated versus unvaccinated persons. The unvaccinated persons could not have had blood clot pathology. They could not have had COVID previously. Um, they had certain restrictions that would you know, preclude them from being included in the study. Okay. And then they took of the vaccinated group and they matched them very well one-to-one. Um, the average age was about 52 and they followed them for two years. And what they found at the end of the two years was the vaccinated persons had a 2.19% hazard score, hazard risk score, um, versus the unvaccinated. So, but at the primary endpoint being that at the end of the two years, the vaccinated persons had persistence of retinal um, artery and vein blood clots. And you don't just develop retinal artery and vein blood clots out of nowhere. Um, They come from somewhere. And so what that suggests to us, the unvaccinated persons did not have the blood clots, by the way. Um, What that study suggests to us is that two years out, the vaccinated persons had the persistence of these microclots that we can't explain where from, and they were consistent and they were persistent over the two years. And so to that effect, it suggests or gives perhaps precedent or a little bit more validity to the thought that maybe that messenger RNA or we call it modified RNA doesn't shut off. Okay. Now, the other things that might support that data in theory also is in vaccinated persons. We found the messenger RNA in their blood up to 28 days. We found it in their lymph nodes up to two months. And then we have found this S1 and S2 units, which is the spike protein. So spike protein one unit is the part that produces all of the crummy feelings that you get in the system. Um, spike or the S2 unit is the part that binds and attaches and allows it to come into your body. Um, they found S1 and S2 in the lymph nodes of vaccinated persons for up to nine, or excuse me, in the white blood cells of vaccinated persons for up to nine months. So um, we know that these things can linger. And the only reason we know the 28 days, the two months, and then the nine months is because that's just how long the study was performed. So theoretically, it could be longer. Um, So I am more of in the camp of thought that we don't have the all clear sign yet. Now, I think there also was lot to lot variability. Um, So I think some people got a higher dose of messenger RNA because you have to realize these shots were not monitored for quality and purity and (laughs) regulation. I think, yeah, it's it's incredible when you really realize that. I think some people got, you know, maybe more of the lipid nanoparticle content um, or more of the the toxins than others. So can I really tell you what you got um, if you're in the safe zone, the all clear, or if you're in one of the bad ones and what we call a hot lot, which means I have more evidence that there might be side effects from that. Hard to do. Um, There's a site called howbad.info, and it takes the VAERS system, which we know is not a great reporting system to start, but it takes the VAERS system. And uh, you can type in your shot lot number if you have your vaccine card, um, and it'll put into tables for you how many deaths, disabilities, and adverse events total have been reported um, from that particular lot. And then it'll break down the most often or common symptoms associated with that. But you have to keep with with a grain of salt. It's all self-reporting. There are some people out there that say the government goes in there and takes and manipulates the data away. There are some we know for sure, like if I had um, a gut failure and I needed a peg tube, you know, or an NG tube and to be put on feeding artificially, they'll code that as maybe nausea you know, which is completely different. So you have to take a little bit of that information with a grain of salt. But the whole premise of thought is that we don't have the all clear signal. We don't have long-term studies that show that that modified RNA degrades. They said it does. They said it should have in two weeks, but we have evidence that it's still circulating beyond that two-week mark already. Um, So I'm not an alarmist and I'm not a doom and gloom. I am somebody though that's looking at the real science and saying, hey, what you told me is actually not true. Is there a differential effect for adults than there is for children? Um, You mean in the sense of like long-term symptoms? Like pathology, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, you know, I think the children get a smaller dose proportionally. Um, However, they have different, they're at a lower body weight. Um, So I don't, I don't really know the answer to that. Uh, I haven't, I don't see kids as much here. Um, but I do know of stories where uh, it was just the news a seven-year-old died 36 hours after taking a vaccine, COVID vaccine. Um, mm-hmm. Heart inflammation was post-mortem autopsy. So um, I do know it affects kids just as much. There are studies that show out in, you know, the, in East Asia um, that, that the kids who have had myocarditis, it still persists months beyond. Uh, they have heart chronic scarring. Um, so there's data out there to show that it does affect the kids. Um, well, one of the things I was so told by, by, a, 
by a sports physician, and he didn't have any data, and he fully admitted that. But I was talking to him about this, and he said, I'm seeing an unusual number of people who've been vaccinated who are 13, 14, 15, 16. They Mm -hmm. come in where they didn't have heart conditions before they do now, and they don't pass their physical for athletics. Um, And he said, I I said, is this a change from what you had five years ago? He said, it's dramatic. Absolutely. Yeah, Dr. McCullers on testimony too, he has said, you know, he used to see two myocarditis cases a year and now he sees two a week. You mm-hmm. know, staggering. Uh, it's quite a difference. And there's quite a few studies or, um, you know, statistics out there, it's a better word for it, where they show when they look at European um, uh, athletes and how many used to have cardiac events, you know, prior to 2020, 2021. And then that the number of cardiac events is just significantly imploded um, from maybe about 30, it used to be per year to now 200, mid 200s per year. Um, and the only thing that's really changed in the world are this impl- implementation of, you know, mandated shots. So it's very well yeah. proven. It's very well um, credible, um, you know, by, backed by the science, backed by the anecdotal observation, um, which I think to some degree is science too. I mean, we have to be observationists <laughs> and allow that. Or Rochelle, when I, when I look at, now this is just anecdotal, my personal observation, but what informed me to want to do form a hypothesis and do some research, because when I have seen sports and news account stories of athletes that die, in competition and we thought they were perfectly healthy. Um, I've noticed it's in sports where there's a high aerobic output in the sport, mm-hmm. say like track and field or soccer. Okay. And, and uh, I, 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 do you think that uh, increasing respiratory and heart rate, like hit mm-hmm. exercise and so, and so forth, do you yeah. think, is that correlated at all as far as reaction to vaccines? That's a good question. Well, there's the catecholamine response. Um, so these people, uh, well, your, your, your catecholamines um, are highest between 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And then whenever you exert yourself in a physically high way. Um, so I think these cardiac deaths are released, or excuse me, are related to that adrenal stress response and promotion. Um, and so if you take a shot and it causes chronic scarring over time of the heart muscle wall, the heart muscle wall does not repair itself easily. Also, the heart muscle wall conducts the electrical activity of it that gives it its rhythm and tells it to be and be functional. So if you have that going on and that inflammation, that scarring, that possible disruption of the electrical conduits, and then you go out and you perform sports and over time, micro loads, micro loads, I'm more scarred and more scarred. And all of a sudden I have that surge of adrenaline, you know, I'm playing really hard. I'm performing mm-hmm. my best and my heart now just can't take, it's a death by a thousand scars. You know, um, I think that's what's happening. Um, I think that's what we're seeing. And so our athletes are at risk. I think that took the shot, um, based on whatever lot they got. Um, but I think that's what we're seeing both in young, younger population, like you said, and then we've seen all across the globe um, in the higher division sports and professional arenas. You know, going forward with this, mm-hmm. and I'll just give you my perspective, which is non-medical, and then you get to correct me, okay? And, and, and I can handle the correction. <laughs> okay, but if I were the Surgeon General, I'd be going, if we had a president that could think and act properly, I would go to that president and I would say, we need to encourage all people, maybe even uh, make the means available. We need to test people for these adverse effects, particularly the things that are fatal, like heart attacks, myocarditis. Mm -hmm. Um, What would you do if you had influence and power with regard to where we're at today and how we should deal with this? That's a very good question. Um, you know, I think I would do it. This is one of the questions I've always kind of had is why don't we have this? And I think it's the common sense show is proud to be able to bring you some very special deals for my pillow. For example, they've got half off my pillow bed sheets, more than half off their slippers, their sandals, their mattresses, their topper covers, women's lingerie. Now they have extremely great products, as you all know. Ladies and gentlemen, right now go to mypillow.com backslash Hodges. Use the coupon code Hodges to take advantage of these great opportunities. Mypillow.com backslash Hodges, coupon code Hodges. Because they don't want us to. They. Although I do know of one lab that is um, piloting right now. Uh, I would love to know how much spike protein is actually in my blood system. Why can't we quantify that? If I have modified RNA and it's making continued spike protein, um, I would love to know how much is in my body by, by that um, analysis. And uh, we don't have 
have that on the market today. Um, the best that we have in relation to kind of a poor man's test is to check your inflammatory markers, which are um, a byproduct of the spike protein. So I'd love to be able to know and develop, I'd love to develop a team that could be able to more accurately diagnose and find these byproducts from the vaccine within your system, really dedicate research to that um, and develop it. I think we could probably do it quickly. Now I'm not, you know, a lab guru, but I think we could too. I think we could do it. And it, by the way, we were given tons of money towards long haul COVID to fix its problems. And nobody, <laughs> yes. nothing today. I'm but, just going to say that exactly. Yeah. So I know we can do it. We're smart enough. We're, no, we're we can, we can do it at warp speed. We already <laughs> we proved that, right? So I would um, love to see a team dedicated to that, dedicated to being able to give clinicians a way to diagnose these issues and something that's trackable and followable, um, you know, from a, a laboratory standpoint, et cetera. Because the best I have right now is, my observations and then some lab tests that correlate um, and the creativity of that space. But I'd love to develop that if I had infinite resources. And then I would love to develop medical hubs and centers where people can come and get well, where they can detox from whatever is in their system, reverse this, um, you know, possible integration of the genomics. If that's happened, Uh, Mm -hmm. we've got a lot of work to do, to be very honest, we have a lot of work to do. Um, But I know we're capable because if we can produce something that creates so much harm, we are absolutely capable of reversing it too um, and doing something that I think it might even provide silver linings to opening up um, healing for other disease platforms. So we'll see, but I, if we could put the money in the right place, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. I hear you. If we were to take the approach that, okay, as it was before it shall be in the future. And I know that's right. not necessarily true, but I think we can kind of assume certain things are going to happen again. Um, what could people do? Um, let me put it this way. Yeah. Who should these shots be contraindicated for based on the past? Based on the past. So honestly, at this point, everyone, because I just, <laughs> I, don't, I don't see a purpose or a function for it. Oh. COVID was... <laughs> If I were in the room with you, I'd give you a high five right now. Um. (laughs) Truly, it has a negative efficacy. We have shown that. The people that have these shots over time, they actually are more likely to get COVID. That right there blows it out of the water. Um, You know, Mm. but then COVID itself is actually a very treatable disease. Now, certainly there are higher risk profiles, right? If you have comorbidities, heart failure, asthma, um, COPD, et cetera. I'm not negating that. But in general... The death rate, if we were able to just treat people, primary outpatient treatment right away, early and fast treatment is the key. Um, using repurposed drugs, using nutraceuticals, we were a whole lot more fine than the crisis we created in the hospitals. And there's data in other world countries that show that. Um, you know, The U.S. actually had one of the highest mortality rates from COVID. And it's because that, we restricted what people could get when they yeah. had a reaction. Let, let I, me, I, I, I had, I had COVID. Uh-huh. And, uh, by the way, we have, uh, a medical plan of attorney uh, tied to a trust. Okay. And my wife and I keep copies. And, yeah. and I told her, I said, if either one of us ever got bad enough, we had to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. No intubation at all. Right. None. None. Sure. And uh, we were going to flash that. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if they would have honored it. Uh, you know, yeah. Having the paper may not mean you're getting the cooperation. And I guess it just depends how t- strong the orderlies are at that point. But uh, w- when I look at all this situation here that we have, mm-hmm. um, I have a real issue with people that had comorbidities. Right. And Joe Biden and the World Health Organization that I have reason to fear mm-hmm. are saying basically no exceptions. Sure. Sure. Well, because they profit from it, first of all. Um, and second of all, they're not concerned about your health. They're concerned Thank about you. their research or, you know, their marketing and their power and their control. Um, this is, we're so far away from this being ethical and scientific. Okay. Uh, that's, that's what I wanted to hear. Cause I, I just thought there yeah. at all. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, be honest, I mean, I, fought, I had to fight for my job. Um, it was mandated. At that was my, my ne- that was my next question. Tell mm-hmm. us about that. Yeah, I, I had to fight for my job. Um, now, I'll disclose to the audience, I had a former exemption against the flu vaccine because I myself had reactions with the flu vaccine. Okay. So I had that on file. Um, so I was able to file for um, a medical exemption rather than religious. 
Um, however, the only way that I could file for the exemption, I had to click a button that says, yes, I agree, and I'm paraphrasing, but you get the intent, um, to my termination should this administration decide that, that this is required. The only way I could submit the exemption was by clicking that button which is coercion, which is me. It's illegal. It's illegal. Illegal. So I sent in the exemption, but then I consulted with a lawyer um, and I wrote up a document that says, I signed this against my consent. I do not agree. And I sent that letter in. Um, And I just, you know, crossed my fingers for a few months to see. And I actually started looking for other jobs because I thought for sure I'm going to be next. I had the um, medical director um, communicating with me frequently um, saying you're going to be, you're going to be terminated. Do you understand that risk? <laughs> and I'm like, not, you know, the risk of my own health. Yes, I understand. I am not taking this. Um, cause I had former at this time, I wasn't even sure about the vaccine. I had questions just because it was new technology. I wasn't as, you know, in the camp that I am today of awake and awareness. Yes. Um, but I knew that that was my right for whatever I put into my body, my choice. Right. Um, and I knew that I had a history of some sketchy things happening when I took vaccines. So um, I fought for it. I was one of, I think, I think they told me about 10, you can't quote me on that number, 10 that uh, was safe um, from the hospital. How, how many would you compare that to? Termination. I, they let go about 30% of our hospital staff um, for not taking it. However, I'm in Oklahoma and the attorney general um, of Oklahoma uh, filed a lawsuit against my employer saying what you're doing is not correct. Um, so they halted the termination. But what they did instead was those people that were going to be terminated. They said, well, you just, we just won't put you on the schedule. Well, that's termination. Technically by, on a- that's de facto termination. Right. Exactly. When they couldn't, you know, file for unemployment and all that, it was almost worse. Long story short, you know, a year and a year and a half out, we won that lawsuit. They have to pay everybody back for loss of wages and damages and such. Um, but I was in that scenario. Um, and you know, it was the grace of God that kept me there. Um, but I was ready to go because I was going to die on that hill truly. Um, and for some reason they chose me to be okay, but But not a lot of people had that story. A lot of people lost their jobs because of it. Rochelle, if you're letting go 30% of your staff and a highly trained staff at that, Mm -hmm. um, doesn't patient care suffer worse than if you didn't demand this completely absolutely how can it not um and it did and that hospital saw some major major pains um and today is still not is, is not thriving as the hospital that it once was known to be um and there might be poetic justice in that but at the expense of patient care it's very sad um it's never okay so and that's when that's when i think really truly hospitalist community started converting over into like selling your soul to a business versus being a, a personalized patient care center. Now I'm not saying that the hospitalists there are doing this purposely just for an income and a paycheck and they don't care about you when I'm seeing you. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not including them in that. I'm saying the administrations that control the decisions of the hospitals day-to-day function and hiring and firing, they're to blame that the fault lies at their feet for the way that this has gone. Okay. Now looking mm-hmm. forward, I, just as a preface, I was sent a Twitter from a lady in Broward County, Florida, who was yeah. a nurse and she recorded a video from her car mm-hmm. and uh, I was going to go back and use it in an article I was going to write and it was scrubbed. But what yeah. she had said before she they got scrubbed she said, I'm sick of this. I'm not taking this vaccine. I'm not wearing these masks. They don't do any good. We've proven they don't do any good. Even Fauci said they didn't do any good. So why are we doing this? And she was highly frustrated. Tell me what you're hearing about what's coming, because this lady prefaced her whole presentation by saying she was working in critical care. And she mm-hmm. said half of the space that they had was mm-hmm. going to be used up by COVID patients because it was going to be so bad. Wow. So she thinks that COVID is going to be another repeat pandemic. She didn't. Her hospital administrators told the staff that. Yeah. Um, I'm hearing from the ground that they're putting back, you know, the masks you got to wear and uh, we're prepping for, you know, flu and COVID season. Um, I can't say that I have a great um, ear to the ground on that right now because I'm pretty much removed from the hospital community at this point in time doing the work that I'm doing outpatient. Okay. So I apologize. I can't maybe answer that perfectly for you. 
Um, but do I think people are tired of it? Yeah, I do. I do. I really do. Uh, both patients and providers to some degree. The so. problem is in this country, though, I mean, if you just look at we were like little sheep mm-hmm. when, when the lockdowns came. Yeah. I mean, this is one thing that set me off. How is it safer to shop at Walmart than a small business that would sell kind of the same things, but just not as many? I, I never understood yeah. essential versus non-essential, sure. but people sure. took it. Okay. And when they came out in the very beginning, well, if you have asthma and these other conditions, you don't have to wear a mask. You have an exemption. And then that disappeared. And people went, this is what bothers me about Americans today. Um, I'm afraid that they're going to succumb to any type of regimen that's put out there. Yeah. And, you know, get a Krispy Kreme and get your shot at the same time. You know, we'll reimburse you. It's it's so crazy. Yeah. I really, really, that's why what we're doing here is just so important because on a micro and macro level, we have to get the word out. There still are people that are just unaware. Um, I still see patients that come in and they're very, um, they have questions of like, but I thought ivermectin was the horse pill. And, you know, we're so far beyond that at this point that it, it surprises me a little bit still when people come in with the, a little bit of an unawareness of what's going on. Um, but I do think in general, um, the pendulum is swung um, to where mm-hmm. people are more informed. Um, you know, there was never true informed consent um, when these rolled out. I think now we've had some time to get a little bit more, a lot more, if you're really looking for it, of the information regarding the yay and nay of these vaccines or genetic therapies, which is really what I like to call them. Um, so I hope people are doing their homework. However, I think there are some people that are not awake, true, and still. And if you're going to, and I don't think we can because of the OSHA, you know, rulings that went through, but if you're going to require it as a, an employment, I think that was really what hit the public the hardest was the requirement for the continued employment. Um, and then also most Americans, I think, really want to do good. Um, I agree. I agree so with that. If, if you're telling me that I could possibly you know, carry this virus and hurt granny by visiting her, I'm going to take a shot to protect her, you know? And I think people did that, truly. I think also because nursing homes were like, you can't come in unless you get the shot. Well, I can't just let my grandmother be alone for three months, three years. We don't know when this ends. So I'm going to take the shot so I can go visit her. And I think most people truly took the shot in good faith. Um, And that's what breaks my heart the most is because that good faith was abused. Uh, and misused, um, and and I, 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 that's why we're trying to give people back hope over here. Uh, was what we yeah. Well, I know we're dealing with inexact science, not by our fault, but by the CDC and so forth. But I want to ask this question anyway. Sure. I had another problem understanding something too. Mm-hmm. If someone's vaccinated mm-hmm. when they go to work, why do they have to wear a mask if the vaccine works? Right. 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 Yeah, I agree. I no, mean, I do you have a rationale for that that I just don't see? If so, if somebody's vaccinated and they have to go to mask or work, they need to wear a mask. Yeah. No, no. I mean, you have to. I mean, theoretically, you should be protected against anybody else who's, you know, not sick or who has the virus. Theoretically, you should be protected from somebody who has the virus. And if it does transmit to you, you won't have bad effects. That's the premise of a vaccine. Um, but we have shown that this is not the case. I mean, these vaccines don't prevent transmission. They don't prevent infection. Um, you know, so... Why wear the mask? Why take the vaccine? And then why wear the mask? It's, yeah. No, it just, it just, it is so contradictory. It really bothers me. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you about something that's controversial. Sure. Um, the idea of shedding that mm-hmm. someone next to you has the vaccine mm-hmm. and somehow they can somehow give you the properties of the vaccine in some form. Yeah. And uh, therefore, then you could suffer the side effects, even though you didn't take the vaccine. Right. So a few things. Yeah. You know, if you open up the flu insert uh, for the flu vaccine, it says that after you take the flu vaccine, you should not be around immunocompromised individuals for about four weeks. Oh, they admit to it. They admit to that in the flu vaccine. If you look at the Pfizer papers with um, the um, COVID vaccine, the original Mm -hmm. Pfizer papers, it says may be transmitted, you know, and it lists several ways that we know commonly, um, but it says then possibly by skin to skin contact. So skin contact what do they mean because in the in the previous description um they'll say bodily fluids so they've already kind of eliminated that skin to skin contacts i mean if i touch you and you touch me we can transmit it it's not clear um but we do know that vaccines can 
quote, shed. Um, the flu vaccine being one of those. Um, we don't know for how long, um, but I do know that I have had clinical um, suspicion of it um, because I have people who their husband's vaccinated, but they're not, uh, and they have symptoms and we'll test them for, you know, some inflammatory markers or just the antibodies to kind of, again, I can't tell if they have spike protein load or not, um, but they're having issues that sound and smell like, you know, messenger RNA spike protein related um, problems and their vaccinated um, spouse or partner uh, is the one that's vaccinated, but the one that's having problems is the one that's not. So there is, there is plausibility to it. Um, and in those patients, I will tend to put people on protective measures. Um, but, you know, it's not, again, like you said before, a perfect science yet. However, I, I'm not throwing it out of the schoolhouse and the, the wheel of thought. I do think there might be some credibility to it. Well, the other question I have, too, is about research. And, and I know you're not coming here as a researcher, but yeah. I'm assuming in the medical profession, this mm-hmm. gets discussed. If they're not testing it on people and they're not going through regular clinical trials mm-hmm. with all the protocols, then how do they know what they're doing? <laughs> well, how do you how can you how do you have any measurable, definable outcomes? That's my point. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You don't. Um, and it's it's very similar to the way they behave and have behaved with the childhood vaccination schedule, um, you know, which I think the COVID adult vaccine and the failure of it um, has really put a backward retrospective silver lining on the childhood vaccine schedule. Because if you understand that when they do these preclinical trials, when they do these trials before they launch it to the public, um, they do not have to do long term study controls that show that the kids who got the vaccine versus the kids who don't. Um, turn out to be healthier down the road. We have no data for that. They only have to show that it looks like it might have helped. <laughs> That's really, truly That's all. It's not science. It's not science, not at all. Um, and so what's really interesting, you know, and without getting off track, but, you know, Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s organization with the Children's Health Defense and ICANN Network, they've done that science. They've looked for that science. Um, they've actually have their book on my desk. They've compiled the science called Vax on Vax. Um, and so, you know, that's what science should be done. When you think about it, Eliquis, the blood thinner, you know, uh, people use that for post-stroke. Um, they use it for AFib, atrial fibrillation prevent, um, prophylaxis. They use it for blood clot thinning. Um, Eliquis was studied for seven years. People were followed for seven years to make sure that it's really safe for you. Vaccines, there's no data. There's no long-term studies. I mean, they don't have to do them. There's people who have started to do them, but they don't have to do it before it goes up on out of the shelf. But, you know, right. Robert F. Kennedy uh, organization does this, right. but they're, even if they find, you know, things that they're concerned about and they can show it uh, clinically, mm-hmm. there's no obligation for anyone in uh, mainstream medicine to follow it. Right. Or to change it. There's no incentive to change it, actually. Yeah financially speaking. So uh, it, it really is a, a mixed up uh, world in this, in this arena. But what I'm excited about again is hopefully maybe I'm too much of an optimist, <laughs> but you know, this is these two, these high, these issues are now getting a, a public stage. Whereas before it was here, a community there, here, an organization there. Now the tribes are coming together. Um, and I think there's more banding in that unity um, then the media will let you know. Uh, why else is the media trying to force something on us? Mm, money. Their biggest oh, advertiser yeah. is a big pharma. That's yeah, why. absolutely. Yeah. You know, there's, there's an African um, adage. You know, the um, anaconda snake. Uh, when you kill an anaconda snake, and these are huge, massive snakes. When you kill them, you cut them in half. They thrash more violently than as if they were alive. Mm-hmm. And they do that because they want you to think you didn't kill me, right? I'm still large and in charge, but they're actually dying. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that. I think we're seeing the government in, they have power, but I think we're seeing them thrash because they understand that the American public is hitting a critical mass point where they're waking up and they're aware. I agree with you. Still wants to be in control. And so that's the best kind of analogy I can sit with for the times right now. You're right. You still have to maintain your your First Amendment rights, your Second Amendment rights. You know, we have to speak up and speak out um, because at this point we have a government that doesn't want us to do such. 
Yeah, but you're absolutely right about the thrashing, and it's not confined to the vaccines. No. In my in my work with the in the Maui situation and all the deception yeah. there, I'm seeing those same behaviors, mm-hmm. and I'm seeing infantile knee jerk reactions to being absolutely. asked legitimate questions. Uh, with with regard uh, to shedding, there's a corollary mm-hmm. I want to bring into this too. Okay. Um, you hear a lot of doctors talk about the vaccines are actually turned into self replicating cells. Mm-hmm. And that there's even some thought that an interaction effect with 5G frequencies can mm-hmm. trigger certain things in the body. Have mm-hmm. you taken a look at that at all? I haven't taken a look at so much of that. One where, one area that I'm familiar a little bit more with that is um, people who have mast cell activation syndrome post shots. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, those can be affected by 5G. Um, and so I can see where the correlation is in the pathway oh, from shot to mast cell activation to 5G network. Um, those people tend to really truly have uh, physical responses to that. So there is a connection in there, um, but I haven't looked at particularly what you just said. Um, Rochelle, you just answered my question. No, it might be a matter of degree and it might be a matter of a person's specific immune system. But you're just telling me right here, the fact that it can be an anomaly in a person says Mm -hmm. it can exist within humans in general. Yeah, I think so. You know, some people with mast cell activation syndrome, you know, the mast cells are typically blood cell, um, but they release histamines and um, platelet growth other things, but largely the histamines is what gives people issues. And so they're very sensitive to things. Um, you know, they'll have um, heat intolerance or they'll have sweat gland problems. Um, they'll, you know, they might have a little bit of some um, orthostatic tachycardia when they stand up, meaning, mm-hmm. you know, their heart rate keeps going up when they stand. Um, they feel like they have, you know, itchy skin or facial flushing. Uh, they'll have leaky yep. gut syndrome, things like that. Those mast cells are hyperstimulated um, and they can be affected by the 5G in that way. So people with mast cell activation syndrome feel that more intently than Joe Blow walking around the public. And we do know that long-haul COVID, either the COVID, the infection, or the injection, can stimulate those mast cells to behave that way. Hey, uh, I'm going to ask you a simple question. The general public who's listened to this now, mm-hmm. um, going forward with what we can reasonably assume is coming, mm-hmm. would you offer any advice to them about how they might want to proceed? Sure. You know, I say um, know who you're going to trust. Um, so the people that know who you're going to listen to um, and f- stay with that voice and stay with those voices. Pray for discernment because we obviously need it. Um, but, you know, the people that were correct throughout these last three years uh, were Dr. Peter McCullough, was Dr. Paul. Yes, Eric, I agree. I agree with Eric that. Yeah. Um, you know, Dr. Mm-hmm. Mobit Saeed, um, Dr. Meehan, who I work with, he had a little bit of a public platform in that way too. So um, stick with those people, look to them for the advice and the wisdom, um, sign up for their sub stacks. Most of them have them, um, you know, read the literature that they point you to, Still ask questions. Always be curious. You know, you're not mm-hmm. truly being informed if you're not considering both sides. But um, I would say really, truly look at who you're trusting um, more intently. Um, yeah, I know. I, I hear exactly what you're yeah. saying. Um, final question. How yes. can people follow your good work? Thank you. We are. Um, so Dr. Meehan and myself are a team. We're functional medicine and internal medicine providers. We're licensed in 34 states to practice, prescribe, and treat. Um, so you can go to MeehanMD.com. That's M-E-E-H-A-N. M is a mom, D is in dog.com. Or you can call our office. Our number is on the website. I'll let you guys go look at it. Uh, you can request appointments with us. You can request just a general inquiry about what we do. We treat COVID long haul. We treat COVID vaccine injury. We also treat um, you know, functional medicine consults. So if you're having issues with your gut, you want to taper off medications in a holistic way, you want bioidentical hormone therapy, uh, we'll do those things. If you want cancer screening, we have a new test that screens for 50 different types of screening, uh, 50 different types of cancer just wow. by blood. Um, it's novel. It's only been new to the public within the last year. Uh, we have some really unique things and tips and tricks that are beyond what your PCP, your primary care and your hospitalist team know right at this moment in time. It's not that they can't know it and they don't know and they can't do it. It's just that they're not right now. And so we're doing it. And we're really that good mix and marriage of modern medicine and traditional medicine uh, that really needs to have a good space. We want to make you well. We want to give you back yeah. the tool tips, not to give you a pill for every ill, but to get you out of chronic disease and flourishing into a lifestyle where, you know, kind of you're hard to kill. That's what we say. <laughs> hard to kill. I like that. Yeah. Well, I know some people that need your service. I hope you're in yeah. Arizona. I'm going to do some research on that. But Rochelle, it's, you, you just spent a wealth of knowledge and you're everything I heard you were. 
So uh, your reputation preceded you. But anyway, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And uh, if circumstances warrant, we'll have you back. Sounds good. Thank you. We at the Common Sense Show have a great TV show. We bring in a panel of experts to help people navigate the uncharted waters that we're living in. Because what once was coming is no longer coming. It's already here, and we're getting you the help so you can make better decisions for your future. You can find us at the TV, commercial-free, censorship-free, and we're getting five-star ratings on the world's major platforms. Again, check us out today at TV. Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call buryyourgold.com and what it does is it goes into a container you lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches it's a 50-year warranty on the device it only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground and you can keep it for safekeeping and i'll tell you this is the way to hide your gold not in false walls but underground will be very very difficult to detect to find out more Go to buryyourgold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee.